Hey everyone, this podcast is with Robin Valadaris. Robin is an investor, physiotherapist, and financial educator. We met each other at the Bitcoin conference in Miami last year, and I knew he'd have a great story to share on the podcast. In addition to his physio training, Robin runs a business where he trains and coaches healthcare workers specifically on financial literacy and education. He also makes unique investments into fine wine, whiskey, and art, which we get into on this episode. When you begin to make social connections with investors and entrepreneurs like Robin, with their own skin in the game, you begin to absorb their mind mindset, lessons from their wins and losses, and the courage to go for it yourself. It's probably the most underrated aspect of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership because you can't quantify the energy and confidence gained from making social connections with those other investors. All you can do is look back and reflect on the power of it after some time and how your social network has leveled up in terms of action takers who are living life on their own terms and inspiring you to do the same thing. If you're looking to surround yourself with investors and entrepreneurs like Robin, check out the next upcoming Rockstar free real estate investing class taught by Tom and Nick themselves. This is the exact same class that Robin refers to in this podcast episode that kickstarted his journey all those years ago. This class is all about the different ways that Rockstar members that we work with are successfully investing in real estate and using it to live life on their own terms. And of course, the info is up to date with today's market. That's today's interest rates, today's house prices, everything. This is current information. Rockstar members have the opportunity to meet and network with other like-minded action takers at live in-person training classes, educational investment property tours, and member events where close to a thousand local investors come out to learn and inspire one another. Go to rockstarinnercircle.com and click the big red button on the homepage that says free investor training to see the next upcoming class date and sign up. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. Right on the homepage, you're going to see a big red button that says free investor training. All you do is click that button and you can register for the next upcoming class date that we have. Uh, that's the class taught by Tominic and sign up for it. Without further ado, everyone, Robin Valadares. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. seems so long ago is this last year yeah it was just over a year right april. April. april april did you go this past year i did that's why i hung out with those gentlemen okay yeah with andrew and paul andrew and paul christian, christian was there yeah. christian's friend was there there's a four of us five of us how was it awesome yeah what about compared to last year <laughs> very much a different vibe last year was like all hype mm-hmm. a lot of hype everybody's schmoozing in terms of the big um, players and the vendors you can see it the audience was what 25k and this year was 13 12 yeah so it wasn't as drawn out but it was more intimate i got to meet more of my like people i watch or listen to on a daily basis like the podcasters peter mccormick i met preston pish from the investors podcast so it's, it's neat to see them but it was definitely a little more subdued than it was last year what about the level of speakers it seemed like way less big names correct yeah, yeah. it wasn't like the guys who like the headliners didn't make it out as much yeah, they, like they Jordan Peterson and wasn't there. Uh, you know, the president didn't come, but the president yeah. of El Salvador. Yeah, Bukele. Well, we did have a couple um, potential candidates show up. Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah, and that's v- huge. Vivek Ramaswamy for the D- Republican Party. And then we had also Cynthia Lummis was still there. She came. She's at the Republican Center of Wyoming. Yeah. So from what I understand, Vivek is one of the front runners yes. for the Republican Party. And he's a big pro Bitcoiner. Yes. Robert F. Kennedy is one of the front runners, if not Joe Biden's main competition at this point. 
for the Democrat party, he's a pro-Bitcoiner. Right. Ron DeSantis, pro-Bitcoiner. Donald Trump, I don't think has poo-pooed on it. I think he's, what? He's indifferent? Indifferent, yeah, yeah. He hasn't really addressed it, right? Even yeah. when he was president, I don't think, in no. a significant way. Whereas three, what did we say? Three? DeSantis? Three. Yeah, three of the top presidential candidates for the US are now pro-Bitcoin. And understand the importance of it and understand the fiat regime and why it's bad. They kind of have to, right? On both sides of the, of the spectrum. Yeah, which is nice to see because I'll get the young voters or the younger voters out there. Yeah. Which is almost like, a, I don't know how much they believe in it or understand it, but how much is a more talking piece. Yeah. Okay, so we already started here, but I'm with Robin Valadares. That's correct. Pronouncing it right. What's the background of that name? So it's Portuguese by nature. It's a Portuguese area of India called Goa that was colonized by the Portuguese. Oh, interesting. So therefore we have more Portuguese culture. Yeah, I have a friend who's uh, also from Goa. So it's probably a similar kind of Portuguese last name. Uh, Vaz. Yeah, V-A-Z. Yeah, V-A-Z. Yeah, yeah, I have cousins named Vaz, so yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you might be related. It could be. Chris, Chris Vaz, you know? <laughs> I Dick don't Chris know. Chris and Danny? No, no, no. Anyways, shout out to those guys. <laughs> uh, so, so me and Robin, we met each other last year at the April 2022 Bitcoin conference in Miami. Uh, I think you met a friend of mine, Christian Kalb, on the plane going there because you guys were chatting about Bitcoin and you and uh, this other guy were going together. Christian Cobb didn't have accommodations, found out you guys were talking about Bitcoin on the plane and ended up staying with you guys for the length of the conference. Yes. How odd is that? Yeah. Christian's a wild guy. I got off the plane and I was with Christian. I'm like, hey, I'm Robin. I'm from Stony Creek. He's like, no way. I'm from Grimsby down the street. Here we are in Miami. I'm like, I'm going to go to my hotel. I'm going to meet another guy I just met on Discord, but he's from uh, PEI. I've never met him before, but we're Bitcoiners. So similar frame of mind. So you can have a little more um, trust in an individual because they get the concept of Bitcoin. So Christian's like, I have no place to stay. I'm looking to stay with a couple other fellows, but they haven't got back to me. I was like, come over. We had the, we had a hotel room. You come stay with me. So he did. Yeah. And prolonged to three or four days and we became pretty good friends afterwards. That's pretty special. So you think it's just the values that you guys share, just knowing that these guys are like hardcore Bitcoiners enough to fly down to Miami for the conference, you know, based on those values that you, this is somebody you can likely trust. Yeah. You self-select for it. Kind of like when you set up your real estate listing and you have X, Y criteria, you're going to get people who are good applicants to make that listing. When you have a conference down south, only people who are concerned and value it are going to make the trip they're going to show up so you can always select who's actually kind of values as important and who doesn't so i knew then he's making the trip down he must value it but then just quality of character like you trust that if he's in bitcoin he has a high character i'm more inclined to trust him yes then. because what about bitcoin do you think lends to to him maybe having a higher character or being more trustworthy aside from like okay you have a common like i think it's he's Educated because he understands um, how to, to filter out kind of mainstream media versus what's actually happening. So he has that kind of filter, which I like people who think for themselves or trust and kind of verify. At the same time, he was very kind of easygoing individual. He wasn't like yeah. he was off-puttish. So he's, he's a likable like, guy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you get that. And being in a, in a therapy field for 11 years, you meet people every single day are strangers. And in the first 30 seconds, you can make a good intuitive guess as to where this client interaction is going to be. So that's a skill set that I've learned by reading people or talking to people pretty much in the first minute or so. You're like, oh, this individual can go down this path or this path. Obviously, it might change over the course of the interaction, but you pick up those skills pretty quickly. Do you find you're, you're pretty bang on with that intuition at this point? After meeting someone for like a minute, you kind of know what that relationship's going to be like or who that person is like? I think I'm, I have the probabilities of making a better guess. Yes. So I'm more right than I'm wrong, but it's like maybe 59 to 41% versus 100 to zero. Yeah. 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 So, so what is your background as a therapist? 
Yeah, I'm a physiotherapist by trade. So I went through traditional schooling, which is undergrad degree at Queen's University, and then I followed up with McMaster University, and then I graduated. Now it's 2023, so 2020, 2012 is when I graduated. And then you exit the traditional education field and you become a therapist, a physiotherapist. You can either do it in the public sector, working for the government of Ontario or another provincial institution, or privately in an orthopedic clinic down the street that you might see or you might attend to. I chose the latter. I went through orthopedics because I very much like sports or played a lot of sports uh, earlier on. And I've done that for the last 11 years. So that's taught me a whole bunch in terms of the healthcare system that we currently have, other healthcare systems, what my current aptitudes are, and about some big issues that we have in traditional education and big issues in the health profession, not so much for healthcare, which is another issue, but in the education about financial education and literacy, that's where kind of my main passion over the last four years I've kind of stemmed through. Okay, so can you elaborate on that? Like the difference, what, what the issues you are, you think there are with the traditional educational system in terms of maybe health and fitness on the physio side, but then also now the financial side? Yeah, I think um, with certain curriculum, you you have only two years of a master's program to teach a whole bunch of skills, and those skills will change like anything in healthcare. Each year, there's a new study that's published about the new in and out of fad diets or exercise regimes. So these institutions have to amalgamate that information and put it into a curriculum that's accredited. So it's a, it's a challenging process for them. And typically, large bodies or institutions move a lot slower than private institutions. That's the way that the nature of institutions run. There's a lot more hoops to jump through. So there's some shortcomings. They're teaching you things that may be outdated when they're going through it that don't really pertain to today's today's um, healthcare. So that's the issue with kind of traditional education. I don't know how you really stop or mitigate that. It's just making sure you inf- you foster the education that individuals leaving the program are lifelong learners. That you don't stop learning at age 23. Doesn't happen. Shouldn't happen. Right? Things evolve each year. So teaching those people those skill sets to trust, verify, do your research and kind of keep pursuing the lifelong learning. Do you find that other physiotherapists in your field or healthcare workers are keeping up with that learning over time? I don't know. Um, The interesting thing, there is a requirement for certain colleges and institutions to have continued education and credits, which is you're required to have maybe 30 hours of every year to keep up with certain uh, facets of the industry Mm -hmm. and have a portfolio in case you get audited by your institution, you have this to show. Other uh, colleges do not have that requirement. It's just a self-regulating where you have to do it your own, yourself if you want to be a legitimate and good practicing therapist. So physiotherapy in Ontario does not require it. But mm-hmm. I pursued because I like to do, I like what I do. I want to get better at it. So that's just something that's bestowed upon me based on my undergrad and who I am as a character. Yeah. So now do you own your own practice? I do not. I work as a contractor in, in the practice itself. And that's very common for therapists. You kind of become an employee and then you become a sole proprietor and then you might be incorporated. And then after the maybe incorporation or sole proprietorship, like any other industry, you're like, oh, I'm tired of working for the man. I'm going to open my own clinic. And that's from the next logical step that most clinicians make. Okay. Where are you on that, uh, on that pathway? What do you think you're going to do? Um, I've been incorporated for the last seven years. I've been a sole proprietor for about 10 years. I really like that ap- uh, avenue. I always consider clinic ownership and I, I like the av- the aspect of it, but I always consider where my dollars treated the best without the last hassle factor, which is a big thing. When you own, own a business like that, you have to deal with a lot more nuances of the business, HR, marketing, client retention. There's a lot of logistical parts. Whereas I can take that same, let's say $100,000, I can put into a car wash. I can put it into a laundromat. I don't have as much hassle factor. I have more recurring revenue and then I can even scale that easier than a potential business. So where's my dollar treated best? 
fortunately, I've been able to understand how money works a little easier. So I know that my next logical step isn't of clinic ownership because I understand how other businesses work and I can maybe attribute more of my cash towards those businesses. Why are you like this? Why do you, why, why do you think like an investor, where did this come from in your journey? <laughs> do you know how funny it is? It's almost full circle. Um, a component is rockstar real estate. I lived, used to live in Oakville and I attended one of the original um, in services here, 2013, I think it was years ago. And then I kind of, that changed the way I thought because they talked about things that we weren't learning in school. That it, it was like the free, free real estate investing training class. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The old office. At the, exactly. Old yeah. office. Yeah. Cross, cross. Cross. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I was there. Um, and then that coupled with a rich dad, poor dad really changed like that, that cash flow quadrant. Mm. That was like, boom, I attended one of their live lectures or live seminars and a two day lem- uh, seminar and kind of like, was like, okay, there's more out there. Let me go find this information. Yeah, I know it might sound basic to you, but can you explain the cash flow quadrant? Because like I just watched a video on the weekend and it was, I think uh, there's a young girl that works for Rich Dad and she makes all these YouTube videos. She was re-explaining. I'm like, honestly, it's so good to hear the basics again yeah. of like how the cash flow quadrant works and why you want to be on like the business owner, employer side yeah. uh, and investor side. Can you just quickly explain that? Sure. So let's pretend we're looking at a piece of paper and you're going to have four squares. The top, li- top left square is going to be your employee with an E there. You work you get paid a certain amount of income it's secure it's verifiable but then at the end of the day you're getting your taxes taken away from you because it's um you can't deduct as much because you're just an employee that way so you're working for somebody else you go down to the bottom left then you have the sole proprietor or Mm self-employed the se category you're kind of like the employee but you have a little more um benefits as in you can take more uh, write-offs or tax deductions yeah you can incorporate incorporate you can work for yourself in that sense a bit more time freedom maybe location freedom location time yeah and a little more risk right you're paid in kind with a risk because you have no guarantees there Mm -hmm. and you have either guarantees your clients or guarantee in tenure you can be fired the next day potentially then you go up to the top right and then you have the business owner that individual is uh, maybe he owns the clinic owns the brokerage he has many people working for him he's still responsible because he might be working on uh in versus on the business, he's still there and he can't really scale it as easy as the bottom right corner when you have the investor. Mm-hmm. The investor may have owned a couple other businesses, but he has operators who run the business. He just owns them on paper or controls them. The business owners operate. So he's a step removed or she's a step removed. They're a step removed where they can scale easier. So mm-hmm. you go from employee, sole proprietor, to business owner to investor. Yeah, that's a great breakdown, man. And it's so yeah. simple, just the way you walk through it. So a good example would be if in the real estate industry, employee would be maybe you're the assistant of a realtor. Then you get your license and you go into it full-time and now self-employed, you're the realtor. And now you go up to the top quadrant on the right, which is the business owner, and you own the brokerage and a bunch of realtors work underneath you. And so that would be like Tom and Nick. And then you have the investor, which you can almost skip to right from the employee by investing in real estate. Correct. Or other assets, because now your money is working for you. You're putting your money to work. Yes. Right. And that's like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank. You see the guys using their money to go out, create more money, bring them back more money. I don't love Kevin Leary, but I love his uh, analogy of like, I send my money out like little soldiers to then conquer and bring back more soldiers. Right. Precisely. Yeah. So uh, thanks for breaking that down. So then, so you dove into this journey and then what did you start doing? Was it investing in stocks? Was it real estate right away? Yes, my first big investment was real estate in 2014. being traditional in terms of risk averse, you don't want to lose anything. And my parents, we learned most of our financial education from our parents or their surroundings. So I knew what a house was. I lived in the house, but I didn't understand the mechanics of owning a real estate other than a primary residence. But with the coaching through Rockstar and learning from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I said, okay, I got money. 
after uh, working for a couple years, let me invest it. And this is back in 2014 when the market's a lot, uh, lot different than it currently it, is. Did you own your own home already? No, I was still living with mom and dad. Shout out to mom and dad for that. Yeah. <laughs> that helped. So you bought your first investment property while still living with them? That's correct. Oh, same. I did the same, did the same, same thing? thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, good learning opportunities. So I, I bought an Ancaster in 2014 and I was very much an individual who um, had a soft side for people. Maybe that's why I'm healthcare. I like to help people. So the, the first tenant I had was a professional oh, no. tenant. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. But here's the spin around. So this individual um, knew the game. I didn't understand the game particularly well. So first and last deposit check, bounce. She already had the keys in her hand. Mistake number one. Shit. Correspondence back and forth. She gave me a whole bunch of life stories that, hey, so-and-so passed away. I'm having issues here. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry this happened to you. I'll give you some more time, unknowing that she's a professional at this. So about three and a half months into it, I finally got her evicted. And this is 2014. So the LTB was a little more uh, streamlined then than it currently is, I'm guessing, with the overflow. Yeah. And it goes about $8,000 or so it cost me in terms of lost rent and then going through filing process, time off work, getting the sheriff there, changing everything, repainting, stuff like that. But it taught me a whole bunch. So after that, my screening for tenancy has gone a lot uh, more um, airtight. Yeah. 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 I, I list everything. Like we talked earlier, you can really filter out people who are just tire kicking or window shopping by what you ask and ask them to do 10% more than the next applicant. You're going to weed them out a little bit. Mm -hmm. and get only people who actually truly value the property they're going to show up. So I did that in 2014 and that I still have that property today and that's really helped in terms of the subsequent properties uh, after that. Have you ever had a poor tenant after that? No. Big knock on wood. Yeah, good for you, man. The exact same thing happened to me. Okay. I just evicted them this past year. They were finally out February and it was a rent to own. And the only reason I did take them because I should have, I did know better in terms of their credit scores and just overall vibe I got from them. But at the time they gave me an $8,000 non-refundable option payment to do the rent to own. So that was a bit of an insurance policy if I ever had to evict them, which I did. Well, I ended up doing cash for keys because the LTB was so slow at the time. But since that property, it uh, completely changed my tenant screening. Now I'm just like crazy with it. I make people jump through so many hoops at the end of it. I'm like apologizing to them. I'm like, look, I'm sorry. I know you're a good person. I still need to do this. And you're right. The, the only people that will go through that process to the end really value that property. And that's what you want. Like that's one of the biggest things for finding tenants is finding someone who's excited to live there because they treat the property better. They respect it and they're grateful to be there. So the relationship right off the bat starts with them being grateful to you as their landlord. I just, it's for me, that's everything. That's a win-win. And the simple things like you notice can go the, the furthest, whether it's how quickly you respond to their inquiries, how quickly you're able to solve their issues. What do you do on special holidays? Do you give them a handwritten card? Do you know that they're actually a person, not a transaction? And these people tend to develop good rapport with you and tenure with you because they understand that it's a win-win for both parties there. Yeah. So did your parents think you were crazy for buying that first property? No. At, um, I think they, they wanted me to make mistakes. Um, because they teach me a fair bit, but they didn't want me to fail where I'm catastrophically lost. So I think they helped me purchase the property. For them, it was their first investment property as well in terms of um, how it was in the family. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't think they thought I was crazy. I think they are, they think I'm more crazy now doing things I'm doing right now than I was then. Yeah. Okay. So you got into investing, got the first property and then just scaled up from there, kind of repeated the process. How did you grow from there? 
I, at this time, 2014, there wasn't much uh, in terms of podcasts out, out there or kind of literature you could read. So I joined Bigger Pockets, which I think is common for most Canadian investors at that yeah, time. That was my first like educational platform before I found Rockstar and the this podcast uh, before I even joined as a member years ago. Okay. I was listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast. I was in my third and fourth year university program in business classes, not paying attention at all, just reading uh, real estate investing blogs in Bigger Pockets. <laughs> yeah, learning how to crunch numbers, how to analyze investments. And I was like, just get me out of this school. I was already working full-time in a warehouse. I was like, I can qualify for property. I knew an inv- I like, get me out of here so I can actually make some money. Wow. Okay. So yeah. very similar. And that was the only thing I was very much US centric back then. Exactly. But now I think now it's a lot more diverse in terms of Canadian uh, knowledge. So that was um, the next talk, learn as much as I could, whether it's reading or through bigger pockets, forums, podcasts, meeting individuals, networking that way. Yeah. And then in 2016, I bought my second rental property. And then 2017, I bought my personal residence. And then I've been off hold in terms of purchasing hard uh, real estate since then. I've done some private lending on the side, but nothing uh, in terms of another real estate property yet. But you are buying hard assets. Yes, not real estate, but yeah, yes, hard assets. not yes, real yes, estate, yes. but you are buying hard assets. That's I know correct. you're a fan of that. And I know you understand the fiat monetary system, the regime, mm-hmm. and all the negatives of that and the importance of owning hard assets. Do you want to talk about some of the other investments that you've been making that are pretty interesting? Yeah, I can go in chronological order. Uh, first, um, my clinic was closed down in 2020 because of the lockdowns that happened because of the pandemic. So as a physiotherapist who's decently trained, at one point in time, someone's telling you can't work. How long can I work for? Three months, right? So we were closed for three months and that allowed me to do some self-learning and I did a whole bunch and I thank goodness, I didn't know YouTube was so useful in 2020 uh, in terms of actually learning stuff. I just thought it was just for gimmicks and videos and I was uh, ignorant to that. So I I went on a YouTube binge and learned a whole bunch of how money works, the fiat, um, Ponzi, uh, Foss likes to call it. And then I found um, a couple of influencers, one of his, Anthony Pompliano. Mm -hmm. And he was a big proponent of Bitcoin. So I did about two months of research into Bitcoin, understanding how the interest cases work, and really focused my energy on understanding Bitcoin and not so much crypto, not the Ethereum, the altcoin, just strictly to Bitcoin, because it seems very sound. So I started investing in Bitcoin in 2020 then, and have been continually adding or stacking sats, as they call it. Have you drifted away from Bitcoin only, or are you still a Bitcoiner only guy? I have not purchased one single thing outside of Bitcoin. Uh, Good for you, man. Not yet. I remember, I'll throw Christian under the bus. He was (laughs) talking about how he bought some pirate coin, and I just remember you guys chirping each other over that. That was hilarious. I used because to be, the yeah. ticker symbol was ARG. It was A-R-G. <laughs> that was a stock ticker symbol for, for Pirate Chain. Oh, I remember that conversation. I used to give him a, a hard time for it. I'm a little more lenient on altcoins now, but yeah, it was like, what yeah, is this? but at the time, like I know Christian was making some money from all that stuff, but uh, it's tempting. It is tempting, and I fell down the same hole. Like I yeah. bought some ETH and stuff, and now I'm now I'm just back to Bitcoin only. Yeah. But like many people, I get in who got into crypto. You start with maybe um, you, you come for the profits, and then if you're a Bitcoiner, you kind of stay for the for the revolution. Revolution, exactly. Yeah. So I, I had the exact same mentality. I think it scared people too because they saw Bitcoin at four thousand, twelve thousand dollars, and they assumed it to buy a whole Bitcoin. I don't think people understood you can buy small Satoshis of it. Exactly. So they want to buy something they can actually purchase, like a $100 Solana, whatever it is they could buy. Yeah. I think that also scared people away. Yeah, like Bitcoin had its time. It's now $50,000. It's too late. And I can't buy a full one. Yeah. And it's like they didn't know they could buy $10 worth. Exactly. Or that you'd rather, it's like buying a blue chip stock versus buying all these penny stocks. Mm -hmm. That like, yeah, you're maybe getting less of it, but there's a lot more certainty around it. Not like I'm saying Bitcoin's a certain thing, but... It's a good, I think, comparison, like a blue chip stock versus a penny stock. Agreed. 
there's more a little more of a history, although Bitcoin's a short 14-year history. Yeah. Penny stocks might be days, if not months old. Exactly. And yeah, and not like they're stocks at all. It's just a good comparison yeah. before I get ripped on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, man. So, so the physio thing, so the crypto. Now, what about some of the other investment types, man? This is the really yeah. interesting one where I remember in Miami, you talking about it. And I was just fascinated by it because at the time, like NFT collecting was big. And I just really, I think at that time became aware, maybe through NFTs, just how much money can be made through collectibles, um, not just crypto, but you know, Jordan shoes oh, yeah. or like uh, Tom's son, Aiden has a buddy who's on the podcast who flips uh, sneakers and the guy is crushing it. Like he's making like 80,000 a month in sales, 100,000 a month in sales as a 21 year old. And he's just flipping things that wow. are like collectible items like sneakers. Um, I don't even know what else. I'm not into this stuff, but you are doing fine wine. Yes. Was it whiskeys as well? Fine whiskey, fine wine and fine art. And fine art. These are the, I was looking for an alternative investment that could hedge my traditional assets. Traditional assets are your stocks, your bonds, your ETFs, your funds, your real estate, right? You can hold these fixed income or kind of growth based things. But I need something because I understood how the fiat system works. You need something that can A, be an inflation hedge potentially or a currency hedge, which is um, something that Bitcoiners will know about the currency hedge in terms of the devaluation of your debasement of your dollar. So, OK, back then, also back then, 2020, a lot more platforms coming online to democratize um, what used to be for the wealthier, the ultra elite. So the average person like myself could buy into it. And one thing was art, fine art. You have many pieces of fine art from individuals who are past and present who can appreciate over time. And it's always a, a long-term play for me. This isn't a cash flow play. This isn't a, a three-year play. It's a five, 10 years. I can allocate this money accordingly to diversify my portfolio. So I bought into uh, two pieces of fine art from artists that I knew nothing about. But I could do the research on them and understand their artwork relative to the next person. And the neat, not the neat thing, but the, the way the art market works and the wine market works and the whiskey market works, there's a scarcity of it. There's only so many people who can A, produce the artwork or create the wine. Mm -hmm. When you start to consume the wine or take it off the secondary market, it doesn't become available. The scarcity drives. And human nature, we love things that are scarce. That's why Bitcoin's particularly good, because it's 21 million. Mm -hmm. And but it's very hard to produce. Hard, hard to produce, exactly. Yeah, thus, thus the proof of work kind of thing. Hard asset. It's yeah. very hard to produce. It's hard to replicate. It's hard to create more. Hard to work and so I, I went through a platform called Masterworks. I'll just shout them out because they were quite good. Masterworks.io? .io, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've heard all the ads. So yeah. yeah, what's your experience been like? Pretty seamless process. I met with one of the portfolio advisors. I spoke to them about my investment goals, what I'm looking to do, my kind of infancy in terms of the art knowledge. I didn't know much. They put me through a right path. They said, you can purchase these two, put an initial investment in. You can hold it in X, Y, and Z Corporation, own this artwork. And it's a fractional ownership. So you don't own the whole piece. You could if you bought the whole fractional ownership of it, but you own uh, a fractional share of the artwork. So it's stored for you. You pay a management fee. When and in time, when they dispose of the artwork, whether through a sale, then depending on the profits, if there were profits or a deficit, you'll get paid back in kind. Is that worked out at the beginning? Like, hey, we're holding on to this piece of artwork for 10 years? Um, you will see the trajectory of typical auctions and what has happened in the past, but it really is dependent on uh, the culture of that time. If there's another artwork that's released or someone passes away, obviously they might sell it because there's more um, news flow around that artist. Uh. So they might sell it at without your notice, not without giving you a head, heads up. Right? They say, okay, this artwork was sold at Sotheby's for X amount of dollars. Here's your payout. Okay. Yeah, I don't control when it sells. When it sells the artwork. Okay. So how long could you be locked into one of these investments? I think traditionally they say three to 10 years. Three to 10. Three to 10. Okay, so yeah. that's kind of the time range. Three to 10 years. And who's the artist? Uh, John Michel Basquiat. 
Oh, Basquiat. Okay. Yeah. And one of them. And Joan Mitchell is the other one. Do you actually like the art? I thought it was neat. I got more of appreciation for artwork since being in investing in art. Yeah. Because you got some skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. Like, why is this so good? It's and neat. like, what am I putting this up against? Correct. Like, who is Basquiat? Yeah. Um, so who custodies it? Is it masterworks.io or Masterwork. is there a third party? Masterworks. I think it's stored in a, in a warehouse in Delaware, as far as I know. They just put it in a warehouse. They're yeah. not even displaying it anywhere? No. Mm. I guess it's... I, 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 I don't know. Seems like a shame, I don't right? know. I'm sure they can sh share the, the uh, prints of it, right? Yeah. And then they can host that. But I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. It would almost... Yeah, I wonder. Because they could create like a secondary revenue stream by having like a gallery where it comes. Now that's... I don't know... I don't know the risks to having a painting in a gallery if someone could destroy it or something like Fair. that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's interesting. They do have a secondary market, I believe, that you can sell it on. No, that's not, that's wine. I'm getting confused. Do you think that you're going to get into the fine art to buy a piece and custody it yourself in the future if you get into this more? Or you like the Masterworks um, kind of model? Because right now it's almost like, it reminds me of like buying gold through like um, an ETF. Like yeah. we're custing the gold, they're custing the artwork. And it's a great introduction to it. But like, you know, with like custing your own Bitcoin, like would you rather be custing it yourself in the future? I guess the obvious answer is yes. Then you got to secure the fine artwork in your home. What do you What do you think? I probably own some fine art, but not, probably not to the scale or the magnitude that they currently own yeah. or have. It's not going to be $3 million pieces or 10 So how, how much is like the basket painting? Um, offhand, I, without checking, I, I couldn't tell you. I think they range from one to twenty million dollars, depending on the piece. Oh, okay. So maybe one day in Robin's future, <laughs> there'll be a full basket in the house. Yeah. Just won't tell you where I live. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut that from the podcast. Okay, so that's interesting. And then the fine wine and fine whiskey are these bottles you're buying yourself? Um, not myself through another platform. Same thing. Interesting. So I would. I don't know much about wine. I started to learn more about wine after investing. But I would. It's a platform called VinoVest. Similar concept. You uh, meet with a sommelier in this in this uh, field. That individual will take a look at your risk tolerance or appetite or profile, and make some decisions based on what you're willing to invest about geographic area. Whether it's the West Coast, whether it's Europe, whether it's France, not Europe, France or uh, South Africa or Australia. And they charge a management fee. You invest the money. They you hold. They hold the physical bottles of wine or the cases of wine for you. Mm -hmm. You have two options. You can use their services to hold it and then to appreciate potentially in value, or you can consume it. So you say, "Oh, Vino Vest, I want to have the six pack of wine. I want it sent to my house. They send it to you. You can consume it yourself. Have your buddies over, have a date, and drink the wine itself. Oh wow! Or you can also sell it on the secondary market if you choose to. But then you're responsible for storing it. Got it. Have you, uh, have you requested any bottles of wine? Gosh, no. No? That's yeah, it's just three investment to your place. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah. a shame to drink it, eh? Oh, yeah. Unless you got like, I don't know, you didn't have much time left. And you're See? like, send me the wine, send man, the wine. let's do this. Just, or, yeah, uh, gift it to your heirs, potentially. Yeah, I guess that's the more charitable yeah. thing to do. I'd and probably drink it. Oh, well, you got, you got <laughs> six or 12 bottles, so you can have a few. Yeah, I don't have any heirs yet. <laughs> um, so, okay, financially fulfilled physio. This is the super interesting thing that you're doing. You're helping other healthcare workers, mm -hmm. physiotherapists, but not just physios, learn about financial education. You've, you have an entire online platform, courses, coaching. How does this come about? Why are you so passionate about it? What's the purpose of it? Thank you. Yeah, this is this is where I'm really passionate because I don't think I've met an individual over the course of the last several years who actually were taught these skills in high school, undergrad, 
post-grad. I talked to a director of a school this morning in their PhD program that learns the basics of financial literacy education, basically adulting 101. We exit our traditional <laughs> undergrad and we're like, okay, now I'm going to be 24 years old. I might get married. I might buy a car. I might buy a house. I might have to plan for a wedding. What do I do with my money? What's a TFSA? What's an RSP? How do I pay off my student loans? What's compound interest? How do I do these things? You don't. You spend your your 10 years in your 20s, even in the 30s. I have some clients in their 40s and 50 that don't know how money works. So you've your opportunity cost of 10, 20 years is gone. Mm-hmm. You're still in debt. What are you going to leave for the rest of your life? You want to, like your title says, you want to live life on your terms and have the ability and the choice of doing what you want, when you want to, versus needing to do it. And people don't often have that choice. So this is a platform for me. I'm like, okay, I love this stuff. I'm struggling with it because I wasn't taught it despite having X, Y, and Z degree. So if I'm struggling, I'm sure my peers will. Mm-hmm. And I, I've come in at an angle because I'm a healthcare practitioner. I understand some of the nuances of being a professional in the private orthopedic setting in Ontario. So my first angle is like, okay, I can teach you how the basics of money works on an interim level of kind of, like I mentioned, adulting 101. And I developed another course called the intermediate course that talks more about kind of the concept we just talked about. Now you know how money works. Where can I allocate it? Can I do stock options? Can I do fine art, fine wine? Can I do Bitcoin? Can I buy a rental property? What's a lease option? What's a vacation rental? What's an Airbnb? What's a long-term? What's a multifamily? Like these things. So understand the basics, then implement it. So that's the platform um, that I've created over the last almost two years now. So you're passionate about this specifically working with healthcare workers because this is just something that was completely ignored? Absolutely. We had one individual that came in in our last year who has a financial advisor and his pitch was more, when you have money, give it to me, I'll invest it for you. Oh God, it was a sales pitch. Yeah, right? But to have, didn't have a fiduciary responsibility. I wanna teach people, this is how money works, this is how investment works, this is what you can do with it. Now knowing the basics, it is up to you to allocate it and entrust it. You can do it yourself, which is many platforms can teach you how to do that, or you can give it to an individual now with the basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the basic knowledge, you are entrusting your time, your valuable time for that individual to take care of your money uh, wholeheartedly. And that often doesn't happen. I was talking with uh, Tom about this a few weeks ago on this podcast. We did one together and it's in his words, the great shame of the fiat system that somebody can spend their whole life dedicated to going into healthcare to help people like yourself. And along the way, nobody teaches you how to help yourself. Nobody's teaching you about finance. And not only can you just, you know, simply be a healthcare worker and contribute to society that way, which we need, you now have to become an investor on the side. You're now a full-time investor and a full-time healthcare practitioner. Not to mention, you're trying to start a family, you're trying to get married, you're trying to have a place to live here in Canada, so housing is through the roof. It's, it's the great shame that you can't just do your job to your best abilities. You have to spend your nighttime reading about stock options or real estate and Airbnb versus rent to own or student rental, and then go out and take those risks with your money because you can't just save your money. Super true, and that you said so perfectly is that we're often taught in healthcare to put the mask on ourselves first, I mean, on the child first versus ourselves and the airplane, which is the reverse. If we can't help that child, we don't help ourselves first. We always put our client's need ahead of our own until we realize in our 30s and 40s that, hey, I'm doing it wrong, but then you just lost that 10 years of time. We've been taught this, right? This is why we get into it because we want to help people that way. But we have to understand we have to take care of ourselves in order to help the people around us. But we don't put that in front. We put that in lower on the moderate or lower level of the priority ladder. What's the response been like with people that you've, that you've worked with or reached out to or that, that you've been connected with, clients of yours? Like, what, what's it the experience of, of learning this stuff been like? Is it freeing for them? 
to get two big kind of polarizing emotions. Freeing is one of them and overwhelming mm-hmm. because oftentimes they will think, I wish I would have done this earlier. Now I don't have the runway. I can't do it. I'm a lost cause, which is not the case, right? Mm-hmm. You can definitely make change. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy thinking that it's too late. Too late. So they won't do it. And they'll, they, this is the big thing. They hope it's going to work out in the end. So they'll assume, I'll just figure out when I'm 50 years old. No, my pension will take care of it. Oh, no, this my primary residence. When I sell it, I'll make the money and I can f- figure out my investment strategies then. It doesn't happen. Mm. So what? So what's their, like, they're just freaking out as they're going through it with you? They get overwhelmed sometimes. It's uh, analysis paralysis. There's so much information that they don't want to make a change. Or like with many things, you might take a course on a Sunday night, but you don't implant it, implement it on a Monday or Tuesday. By the following Monday or Tuesday, it's lost. And it's you gone. You don't take action. Yeah. So a lot of them, for a lot of them, do like welcome it. They apply it, and we have a conversation going on either through social media or through some coaching calls with it. Some individuals uh, will only come to it when it's a certain time in their life for it, and that's okay. This is not my time, so therefore I'll wait till next year to do it. But overall, quite welcoming, and then with the uh, feeling or under tinge of overwhelming or anxious uh, feelings because they haven't started on it, and there's a lot to do. Yeah. What's the typical age of people that you're working with? I am looking at individuals who are fixing um, 22 to 34 years old, kind of the, the most expensive decade of their lives for most people is paying off student loans, maybe buying a car, planning for a wedding, buying a house, and then starting a job. Mm-hmm. All done in your 20s, right? I know. 20s to 30s for, for most people, that's a lot. It's chaotic. Yeah. And then you're just, you're operating in like default mode through this period because you're just operating based off what you've seen from your parents mainly and mainly. the people around you in, in your own life. And to be honest, uh, for people of that age group specifically that you're talking about, people in their 20s and 30s, it's a different world than what our parents grew up in, especially in, okay. in Canada and Southern Ontario specifically. The cost of housing, um, the inflation that we're seeing right now. I know there's like an inflationary period back in the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. but but the your wage to the cost of a house was completely different back then. Huge. versus the wage to a cost of a house now currently yeah. and it's there's just such a gap in knowledge and you know i've struggled with this with my own parents they don't understand like the um how extreme the situation is maybe that what the housing crisis is like they know that rents and houses are way more expensive now but they just i don't know they don't see maybe the connection with long-term quality of life or or just how much harder it is, I think, to set up yourself for financial success in today's age. And I don't want to just make excuses here because there's things like Bitcoin. There's more financial education than ever that's accessible to you. Like there is a lot of good things. So there are pros and cons to mm-hmm. being a, a millennial or young person today. But housing, man, like that's a that's a big one. Like if your goal is to pursue home ownership, it's increasingly difficult to do so in southern Ontario or even Vancouver right now. Mm-hmm. Granted. If your goal is to pursue multiple revenue streams, I think it's easier than ever than our parents' age to do so. Yes. Because A, you have knowledge to you, you have a phone, in, you have a computer in your pocket, you can do it, and you have the resources to do so. The challenge is people always tell me they don't have the time to do certain things. And you and I have the exact same amount of time, Anthony, it's still 24 hours. It's not time, it's priority. And they will default to a lower priority because they don't want to take action. Mm-hmm. So yeah, depending on your goals, it might be harder or easier. But um, but where your earlier comment, yeah, like we, my parents bought their home in the mid 200,000s in 92, right? And they're still making $50,000 a year and that was a good salary in 92. Now they might make $100,000 a year that's doubled, which is probably a good average salary now, but their home has not doubled, right? You're not going to make, go buy a house in Southern Oakville for 500,000? Mm-hmm. No way. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, the scale is 
um, that spread has increased. It's a bit. different, and even if you can get the house, you get you're getting yourself into way more debt. It's way more of a financial burden that you're now handling. A lot higher percentage of your income is going to paying for that housing. It kind of handicaps you in a lot of other areas of your life. You're not going to have as many kids. You're not going to move out of your parents' houses early. It's going to affect your psychological development, your emotional development as a as a man or a woman trying to be an adult and self-sufficient. It's going to affect your relationships with a significant other. Trying to have a serious relationship while living in your mo- in your mother's basement is uh, puts a serious stint in that. You can go out and rent, but then once you're out in the world renting, it's very hard to dig yourself uh, at that hole and get into home ownership. It's, it's not easy. And I think it's just ripping apart the social fabric here. I think it's separating families. Like my friends, we all grew up in Brampton. None, like only one of them lives in Brampton and he was smart. He, he became an electrician right out of high school. So he banked up money. He bought a rental property in St. Catharines. The market went up. He refinanced that, bought his own home in Brampton. Like he did it like the right way. All of us who went to university, by the time we started getting into the market and stuff, like Brampton was out of reach for us. Now, you know, we've got, I've got a friend up in Barrie, a friend up in Aurelia, a friend in Guelph. Uh, I've bought all my places in St. Catharines and we all live so far apart. It's like hard to see each other and yeah. plan things now. It's like we've all separated that way. It's, uh, you know, our families might still live in Brampton, but now we live much further. Mm-hmm. What about when you want to have grandchildren and you want your parents to help babysit and they want to be a part of their grandchild's lives? Now, like everyone's separated. Like it's really ripping people apart. and and. I don't know, man. It's sad. Like we're going through a housing crisis here. So I'm really focused on housing and I don't want to poo poo all the other things you're saying. Like (laughs) it is the easiest time ever to start a business. There's so many positive things that we can. And I think frankly need to focus on because you know, what other choice do you have? You can just be negative or try to move somewhere else, but, or you can choose to to be creative and partner up with friends to buy an investment property and you can still benefit from home ownership or Mm -hmm. you can buy some Bitcoin. You can learn about the fiat system. You can make some stock investments. You can start your own business. That's what's easier than ever starting your own business. Mm -hmm. Like you can do it from your phone. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I share the plight with people who are trying to start out right now. It's not easy. and But like you said, you either sit on the couch and you moan. Or what else do you do? You can still pursue it. Maybe it's later on in your lifetime, but you can still build up the assets right now or the knowledge base, the non-negotiable skills that you can then lever into home ownership if that is your ultimate goal. Yeah. So what's your plans with this company, like Financially Fulfilled Physio? You obviously have a deep purpose behind it, something you're passionate about, but where do you see it going? <clears throat> is this... Is this maybe your route out of physio and this is something you're more passionate about at this point in your life about the physio training yeah, you nail it dead on so the goal right now i'm 36 years old in four years is to be in a position where i have the choice of wanting versus needing to work uh traditionally and as a physiotherapy uh practitioner i love what i do but i can't do it forever nor do i want to do it forever there's many more opportunities in life that kind of interest me and there's many more places in the world to see that our job doesn't allow i can't work from home I have to be in the clinic and I have to trade my time on a day in day out for money. Mm -hmm. I don't see people, I don't earn a revenue. So in four years time, if I can build out this platform where I can A, be in Jamaica and still hold a a course, that's location independent. If I have courses held online right now, people can learn any time in the world, that's time independent. So I can earn revenue streams that way. Plus I can also reach more people this way. I can have a group of 10 people in a room and impact 10 people's lives than having two clients an hour and impacting only two people's lives. So I want to do, I want to still practice as a physiotherapist, but I want to have that choice in four years. Mm. And this is like an online model where you can have that location independence. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very interesting, man. Absolutely. How have the people in your life received it? People you work with, your parents, you said your parents might think you're a bit crazier now for doing this type of stuff. 
they have a picture of my parents as a traditional immigrant family. Have you ever watched any Russell Peters skits? Of course. Brampton guy. Yeah. He's of like, course, so this is my childhood. Grew up right? on Russell Peters. Yeah. My mom and dad would be like, Robin, just go be a lawyer, go be a doctor, or go be an engineer. Be a man. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my brother took the engineering route. So I, I had locked doctor or lawyer. So I was like, okay, let me go pursue some medicine that way. Yeah. So they are very much traditionally trained to say, get a job become very well protected and secure and then enjoy life that way which worked for their generation correct and there there's the gap correct yeah you're teaching old concepts to um, modern concepts and they don't really drive well it's like oil and water so i said okay i'm going to pursue this because i have a keen interest in it and as you know me i'm tech illiterate don't know anything about tech but to create an online business i learned how to not too much code but to build out a website to host courses how to do some back end stuff so now those skills despite if this business does not pan through i can take with me i can go to the local gardening store and say hey you're uh, you're not very online present can i help you with this can i build out your website can i do this for you and you can pay me x amount of revenue for it i have these skill sets hmm. so for that they think i'm crazy or crazier now they think with the success they're thinking i'm a little more right uh, handed with the the decision but at first it was definitely different because my brother was uh, pursued an employee type relationship both of them were employees i'm the only business owner in the family that way so it's uh, it's odd for them to see that yeah but your personality probably just lends itself to that i hope so uh, when you when you work in the realm of dealing with people every single day and both people with pain you understand people particularly well especially when they see them at their weakest points so you, you learn uh, reading people is very a good skill set to have and uh, listening, which I'm not doing very good of right now, but uh, just listening, sitting there and being present with them. So you tend to pick up and you can see how you can kind of dance with these individuals through their rehab journey, which also is the same thing with business. So you made a comment before the podcast, just I thought it was really insightful, like from the clients you work with on the physio side of things, you notice um, what to do and what not to do in life. Can you just speak to that one point? We can get yeah. back to the finances. Absolutely. So picture yourself in a clinic for eight hours. You're going to have a whole, uh, a few clients come in uh, from all various backgrounds, cultures, ages, and injuries. So you might see a three-year-old with a dislocated shoulder, and then you might see a six-year-old with uh, arthritis in his, his knee. You get to see in one given day a life continuum. You can see a 20-year-old who has mismanaged their body and a 50-year-old who has managed their body, and you can get a good introspective look and say, okay, if I were to do this, these are what my outcomes are. If I were to do this, this is what my outcomes are. So at first hand, I know with the, the practicing I do, how to take care of my body, not only because of what I've been taught, but what I see on a day-to-day -day basis. So over a decade of practicing, you can see, okay, eat well, sleep well, meditate, have good friends, um, exercise. These are all things that give you the higher probability for better mortality later on. Mm -hmm. And the opposite is also true. So how are you balancing all these things that you know you should be doing now while also building a business on the side with a um, not aggressive goal? Because I think it's 100% doable. It's almost, you could almost be more aggressive with it probably uh, within the 40 years, but I don't know your plans. Yeah. It's also specific, but you're ambitious and you're planning on achieving financial freedom and a degree of location freedom uh, by the time you're 40, you know, like three and a half, four years from now. So how are you balancing all these things while also building the momentum in your business? Yeah, it's a lot of integration um, where I'm very particular about how I spend my time. So when you see my calendar, th things are not to the minute, but they're pretty much well orchestrated. So there's not much downtime. That's one thing. I'm very focused. And as I've grown over the last 10 years, my friend group might have been a big. Now it's this big. So I only spend time with people who actually kind of truly, as to use the word, fill your cup where people really get you, right? Because you can always mismanage your time by, let's say, scrolling on Instagram for an hour. Compound that, that's seven hours a day. That's 28 hours a month. Do that math. I can't do public math. So that may be 300 hours a year yeah. you're spending. 
doing yeah. that, right? So how do you spend your time and be very focused, have an actual goal? Because when I get home after work, I'll do my notes, then I'll learn for the next two hours. Then I'll go to bed, wake up, do some stuff, then I'll go to work. So every hour of the day is allocated to something that kind of moves my needle. Yeah, and you're still making time for, for social connections, for family, for, for those those fewer and fewer friends maybe, but... absolutely. That's where like on a given Saturday, I might, like I golf, I golf three times a week. So I spend 12 oh, hours wow. a week golfing. I like it because it, it's social, I meet people, it's active when I walk the course, and it's something that's a challenge for me. But around that time, okay, I'm gonna do it four hours here, then I gotta put an hours here. Um, I will still make t- time for friends, family, and now currently dating, so I'll make time for that. Yeah, for sure, yeah, that's an important one too, right? Yeah. I guess we shouldn't gloss over that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool, man. So where do you think this will take you? Like you want the location freedom. Is that your plan to live a digital nomad life or just, is it more about having the option too? The option. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I just want the option. I don't even know if I might try it out and I might hate it. Exactly. But you have the option, not the obligation to kind of like when you sell a contract, right? Or buy a contract. You have the option to do so. And having that is true freedom because then uh, somebody told me this, Hey, Robin, you know what the difference between rich people and wealthy people are? The wealthy have control over their time. So I was like, oh, that's very, very neat. I want to have that control over my time. Yeah, the older I get, the more I value the time. And I'll gladly spend the money. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll go on the 407 to yeah. get around the traffic. I'll pay the money. Um, what's another example? There was one the other day. Oh, I got this part for my... Um, my a Ford pickup truck to like this swing out kind of toolbox in the back and you need a specific uh, Torx bolt for it. And I was just like, I just called Ford. I'm like, can you guys install this? And they're like, it's 150 bucks. I'm like, damn, like this Torx bolt's going to cost me like four bucks. But I'm like, what's my time worth? And I had done a calculation, you know, like maybe yeah. a year ago of like, okay, this is what I'm valuing my time at. And if it's less than this amount of money, I, as much as I want to do it myself, I can't do it. Like it's not worth my time. There's more valuable things I can be doing with it. Well said. And people, I don't think people value their time or know what their ROT is, their return on time. Oh my God. Thank you for bringing that up. So yeah. one of your, um, one of the things that you give people through your platform, it's like a, I don't know if it's a lead gen, if it's, it's, if it's a giveaway that you gave, mm-hmm. I downloaded at some point. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you have a bunch of spreadsheets. It's like your personal budget or yeah. income statement, your net worth sheet. Yeah. You, you track a bunch of these different things, but one of them was return on time. Right. Can you speak to that? Because I've never seen the spreadsheet and I absolutely love it. I think oh, it's good. probably the most important spreadsheet you have in there. Not like the income statement and assets aren't important and you almost need that to the income statement to calculate your return on time. But yeah. can you can you speak to that? Yeah, and I'll speak to you from a healthcare realm because this might be new to your audience. So let's say I'm a physiotherapist. I could be paid hourly or I can get paid fee-for-service, which is the services I render. Let's say I am an employee and I get paid 50 bucks an hour or I'm a sole proprietor and I make 80 bucks an hour. So people will tell me, hey, Robin, I'm getting paid 50 bucks or 80 bucks an hour. I said, no, 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 back up. What are you actually getting paid after it's diluted? What do you mean? Okay, so when you work the 50 hours a week, are you fully booked for 50 hours? Yes, okay. Do you have to drive to work? Okay, do you have to pay taxes? Yes. Are you uh, paying for your computer? Are you paying for dues and subscriptions? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, back that out of $50 an hour and tell me what your return on time is. Oh, because it takes me an hour to get there, an hour to get back, so two hours each day. That's not 50 bucks an hour. You might get 37 at there all of a sudden, then you gotta add taxes, and you got 25. Same with the 50, uh, 80 bucks an hour of sole proprietor. People assume their hourly wage is their actual wage, and they don't back out Presto card, two hours of work commuting there, plus everything else needed to, to obtain that. So my spreadsheet is, okay, what's your gross revenue? What's your gross amount of time allocated? What's your net and net? And at the end of the day, what is your net return on time? Because that's the only metric you can scale, and that actually means anything. 
So you break it down to the hourly wage? To the hourly return, yeah, because I, I want to value my time. So that's in one revenue stream, how much I'm getting paid. And the thing that will, when I show them this to my clients, that scares people. I work the most as a practicing physiotherapist. That is the fifth lowest or highest, depending on to look at it, revenue stream for me. I work the least in other aspects of the businesses, and that's my greatest return of my time. Mm. But if I only had one, I would never notice. And school will teach you to get one revenue stream, and that's it. Close your eyes, you got one revenue stream, see the rest of your days. But we don't we have six or seven or eight, they might be better returns of time what you spent six years or eight years of your school doing, but you never notice it because you never pursue it. Mm-hmm. That's huge, man. I started calculating the return on my time um, with filling investors' properties with tenants, which is like a side hustle I'd started. And it was it was by far the, the best return on my time for, for what I could do. And it's gotten to the point where I now make more than my salary here as an employee at Rockstar, uh, doing these side hustles on the side, property management and awesome. tenant placement and stuff. And we'll see where that goes, right? But um, one of the things I got from Rich Dad Poor Dad that always stuck with me was, he was really talking about anyone, but I took this to heart as like right out of school, you wanna find a job that you work to learn and not to earn. And so I actually took a bit of a pay cut to, to when I first started here. I was making like 55000 or 60000 if I worked full hours at Pepsi in their warehouse. Yeah. And I was doing this warehouse job to pay my way through school. So I graduated debt-free. But then I think I started here at like 45, like four years ago. And it was like a customer service role. But I just knew from being a Rockstar member already, I'd already joined as a member, like these guys know what they're talking about. And these guys are the first people I've met in my life that seem to have a few things figured out on the financial side, but they're also balancing it with family and health. Like what's going on? Because they're not just making good money and buying real estate and stuff. Like they've got some other things figured out here. I need to get like close. I need to get the rub. I need to know what the secrets are. And so I was like, I'll clean the toilets if it gets me, you know, access to people around here, the rockstar coaches, Tom and Nick. And that's been huge. Like my personal growth in the past four years, like I'm a different person. I just, the knowledge I have and it's, that it's been life changing for me working under somebody who's doing what you want to be doing, who has the lifestyle you want, who's making the money that you want, who has the health that you want, like life changing. I think it speaks to your maturity at that age. When you, you took the, the ability to learn more and take a pay cut or maybe not have the prestige or status amongst your peers as a stepping stone to what you eventually get to, where some people say, no, I'm entitled because I have this education and this is the age of my life. This is my experience. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. They don't understand there's a revenue or runway stream for it. And they're more concerned about the prestige or the status symbol of having X amount. Yeah. But which for me isn't easy. Like I'm very easily peer pressured. I have been my whole life. Like I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. Like everyone smoked weed in grade nine. I smoked weed. Like okay. I am not good with that stuff. I really, I think I'm very social and I, I fall into what others around me are doing. If I hang with certain friends that, you know, like to really uh, like drink on the weekends, guess what I'm doing? And so it's like something I've recognized in myself. Like I really, for me, understand the importance of like I need to be in an environment where uh, I got this from Atomic Habits, where the expected behavior is the, or the, your desired behavior is the expected behavior of that group, right? So if I'm hanging out with investors all the time and stuff, it's like, you know, it's not really talked about this way, but the expected behavior, like we're all, we're all buying real estate. Like we're all working towards financial freedom. Like that's the expectation. Like mm -hmm. 
Like, you'll be proud of me, actually. I just got an accepted offer on a, a property. We're going to turn into a seven-bedroom student rental in Brock. Wow. But I'm partnering with my girlfriend, who's a first-time uh, home buyer. She's a dental hygienist. Okay. And our other friend, who I got into Rockstar, who's a nurse. Okay, wow. So two healthcare there workers. You so you'll Love be it. proud of me, man. Love it. Well done. And they, they've got their stuff together and stuff. So we're all partnering up. And I've got the real estate angle down. And um, one of them already owns a rental property. She's She'd be like your ideal client, okay. actually. She's great. And... Um, but uh, where was I going to this? We're buying this property. Damn, what the hell was I saying? But imagine how much they're going to learn either through you and through the process that you're kind of exposing them to. Oh my gosh, they're going to learn so much. Damn, I lost my train of thought. Seven person rental in uh, Brock. Yeah. Anyways, we're buying this property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, work to learn, man. Work to learn. It's it's so valuable. But um, yeah, the expected behavior. Yes. That's, that's where I was going, is, is to buy real estate, is to work towards financial freedom. Whereas the expected behavior with um, other people in my life isn't the same thing. And so I've, I needed to consciously distance myself, which isn't that easy at times, but if you're motivated enough, if you know, if you outline what your future is gonna be like if you don't do this and what it'll be like if you do do this, you know how to orient yourself in the world to work towards what you really want. You have the fear of that like hell that you've outlined for yourself to run away from. Like I don't wanna be 50 and not have any assets. Right. I don't wanna have to ask my boss for two weeks vacation. Right. I don't want these things so badly. And even though I'm scared to buy this next property, it's like I'm less scared of that than I am to, to live this other life. Perfect. And some people get peer pressure into living the normal life of the conventional life because they can't see themselves outside of it. And you're making that decision because you will have the regret of not doing it when you're 10 years older. Yeah. And it takes courage. It takes missing out on all your boys going down a, to Cuba to party. And you're like, no, nah, man, like I'm going to this Bitcoin conference. Yeah. Like at the time I met you at this Bitcoin conference, my friends were in the Dominican like partying. <laughs> and I was just like, no, like I can't do it. And do you regret that decision? No. No. I had such a blast. That was such a fun week. Like I met great people like yeah. yourself. Now we're here. We're having this inspiring conversation. You're an inspiring guy. Yeah, like you. you're doing all this stuff. I look up to you. I'm like, wow, yeah. this guy's actually out here doing it. Yeah. Like you've got skin in the game. One of the cool things about you too is on your Instagram, like you'll put your portfolio breakdown mm. and you'll put, here's the performance year over year or month to month, whatever you do. Mm -hmm. And like, you're being super transparent and you're also transparent. Like, look, I don't have a certified background in this. I'm self-educated. But that to me is like, I'd rather the self-educated person than the guy who went through the mainstream schooling on financial planning. I'm glad you said that because I'm always wrestling with get some credentials, some traditional credentials because I've none in this field. But what always weighs me back is if I am as authentic as possible and transparent as possible and coming from a way where I don't need an actual traditional education, how much more can I expose my audience to that I don't have conflict of interest that pursue me to push one or two products? That's what I'm battling with. So I'd rather keep independent. And I'd rather be uh, not an expert, but something who is more of a, a novice, because that will force me to learn more. I find that oftentimes when you're an expert, you become complacent because people come to you. You don't really pursue or grow yourself because you think you have it all and the ego gets in the way. So I, I like to be as authentic as a novice as possible because that really pushes me, pushes me to grow more. And with transparency, I think the financial industry doesn't have a lot of transparency. Just recently, they started introducing what your actual fee splits are when you pay an advisor. That was maybe five, six, seven years ago. Before that, you'd never know. So I want to show my individuals, hey, this is my portfolio of all my assets. This is my quarterly one, quarterly two, three, four, my half year, my full year. If I wasn't um, working for somebody else, I would post exactly how much I make too, because I want to show people that and show the revenue streams. But I have to be very kind of cautious about what I post uh, as personally as possible. But I try to be as transparent so people understand that, hey, this is skin in the game. I'm doing it with you. I have good years, bad years, good quarters, bad years. And I'm not shying away from it because I'm human like anybody else. 
Yeah, you've got skin in the game. Mm -hmm. That's the big difference. Your return on time. So your return is way bigger on on these other projects of yours, your business, your investments. Mm -hmm. So so what are you doing? Are you just actively focusing on those highest returns on your time now? I don't really have to. So whether it's a well-run rental property that I have or two of them, I might spend two to three hours a year there. But that's cash flowing every single month. So if you build out the systems, it's managing itself uh, man, uh, without the typical AC unit breakdown or whatever. But that might be a quick phone call to my individual, my uh, handyman, and saying, hey, Bob, can you go fix this? 30-second email. He's done it. He sent me the invoice. I don't have to manage it. I know. But I'm responsible. And it sounds so easy when you say that, but it actually is. Like once you get over the hump of getting the good tenant in there. Yeah, you can do it. Uh, so that's it or dividends or another business or stock options or investing in real estate or Airbnb. You can create these systems. It takes a lot of upfront work, but then you can put it on semi-autopilot later on. So it's just being aware of it. Now that you're aware of it, you know what to double down on and, and, and focus your time, energy, and money. What to pursue, both for revenue, but also for interest and passion. You have to do things that light you up. Many people may work in a job that they do because they need to, not because it instills passion in them. I want to do both, and why not have the ability to do both? But you need to take a risk to pursue things that, hey, you might not have a job for, but you can create. But if it lights you up, makes you happy, look at the enjoyment. There's a good, positive happiness return on time that people kind of miss sometimes. So how do you feel about your future trajectory? Like, are you excited about life? Are you just slogging it out some days, and you're like, man, this is a grind, but like, it's going to be worth it? Um, what, just how do you feel knowing all this stuff now and implementing it and having skin in the game and all these different income streams? Um, it's a mix of both. So I'm recently kind of separated slash divorced where you come home sometimes and you feel lonely, right? You, you may not have the same person there that you had before or someone to bounce ideas off. You have this house to yourself. You you're, have many thoughts you're going through and you need some kind of network to speak to, which you, you do, but at sometimes it's lonely. So I have those days where you're like, oh, things aren't going my way. I feel a little down. And then you have other days that are triumph days where you're like, oh, this is wicked. I'm pursuing this, this, and this. And it's being able to balance and manage those if you can as best you can. So I'd be lying to say every day is a good day. It's not. There's many times in the business where you're like, okay, this isn't getting traction. Should I give up? Mm-hmm. But it's also that idea of thinking and growing rich and kind of persevering and pursuing with high probability of success. I'm not going to pursue an investment that has no outcome. I'd rather take my losses there. But yeah, it's good days and bad days. I think I have the right trajectory. I just got to kind of stay focused and surround myself with people who actually push me in the right direction versus pull me in the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to stay focused in today's world. What, what are some of the things that distract you? Um, occasional social media, emails in particular, um, yeah, messaging with friends. So I often go and do, do not disturb uh, quite often and through odd hours, whether it's early in the morning to midday, I'll go on an hour, two hour binge of just don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, unless my parents know, my family knows if they need to kind of push through the notification, I'll come to you. Yeah. But for the most part, it's like, do not disturb. I go into silent time or go on my deck and leave my computer, or my laptop and my phone inside. And I just sit there and read or just think saunas help too. Okay. Yeah. You, this is you're going to a sauna somewhere else, or you have one in your home? No, not in my home. Uh, prior to golf season, golf season, I don't really go to the gym anymore. I just go do with my own kind of yoga training, strength training on my own, because uh, it makes time consuming to go yeah, to the gym. You're looking good, dude. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so your bicep bulging over there. <laughs> just the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the trick, eh? <laughs> uh, but in the off season for six seven months, I'll spend a good two hours at the gym while I do some strength training, and I'll spend a good twenty minutes in the sauna, and that's where my best thoughts come from. You have no tech in the sauna. Uh, oftentimes it's quite quiet and you just have your thoughts to yourself for the next 20 minutes, which ask yourself the last time you had 20 minutes undisturbed to your time when you're not sleeping. It's rare. It's true. I actually don't get that from the sauna. I just get hot. 
I just want to, I just think, get me out of here. You and I are built a little differently. Yeah, built in, <laughs> in, a different, in I get those thoughts in the shower. Oh, okay. The shower thoughts. Okay. It just pops in. You get the moment. I guess upstairs with the Airbnb, but I don't, I barely touch it. Oh, you Airbnb would be a portion of your property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Smart, man. You're hitting on like everything. This is like how to get freedom 101. Robin Valadares. Yeah. There's a lot you can do, all right? There's so much you can do. You just got to take the risk and do it. Yeah. Fear will kill more dreams than failure ever will, but fear stops most people from doing anything. How have you developed this mindset? You get kicked in the teeth enough in life and you realize that if you don't do it yourself, no one's going to do it for you. When did you, when did you figure that out? I, the big insult that I had to me, which I won't disclose was in 2019 that, that hurt me a bit. And then through the separation that hurt me a couple years later. So you realize that you have your family, you have your support system, but they're not you as an individual and you're responsible for the actions you take and the life you live. And oftentimes we will live a life that's kind of traditional, but we lose out on many things. And this comes to the book um, that I read called the, the Top Five Regrets of Dying. And this is from an individual named Bonnie Ware, who was um, analyzing or interviewing individuals on their deathbed. And she asked these people what their greatest regrets were. And a lot of them were like, hey, I didn't live a life as happy as I could. I let other people influence my happiness. I didn't pursue the things that make me enjoyment. I wish I, worked, I hadn't worked so much. I wish I had spent more time with my friends and family. And these are people on their deathbeds. Did anything talk about money? No. Right. So it's being very hyper focused about what money allows you to do, which I, money is one thing, but it allows me this freedom, which I want to pursue. So on a Wednesday, when my son, Bobby, I don't have a son, but let's say Bobby says, dad, can you take me to soccer on a Wednesday? I said, no, I have to work at PepsiCo. I, I can't go. Sure. <laughs> I love that you threw in yeah. <laughs> Sure. I hate that place. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I can go, Bobby. Let me take you. And yeah. I can take you the ice cream afterwards. That's awesome. I have the time freedom, but this hyper focus will allow me to pay dividends in the future. Yeah. What do you remember what the five regrets were? I have it on my blog. I just wrote it. This is bad. I, like one is like, I, um, I wish I would have pursued a life more true to myself. I wish I would have, um, done things that made me more happy. I wish I wouldn't let other individuals influence more of my uh, decisions. I wish I wouldn't work so hard. And then something, the fifth one I can. Yeah. Damn. So how do you wrestle with the working hard one? Cause I know you're working hard, but it's for a particular goal. And yes, my family will tell you that sometimes I'm absent of certain events. I'm not absent in terms of I don't show up, which uh, seldom happens, but maybe I'm not there for as long. I say, mom, dad, I'm going to spend Sunday with you, but I can only spend or allocate four or five hours. I can't spend the whole day with you. I hope yeah. you can forgive me because I, I have these other things I have to do. I have to balance a fair bit. Mm-hmm. So in that, I, I feel like it's a shortcoming because I'd, I'd rather spend time with them. And it's a challenge because I'm hoping I will have the freedom to enjoy their, my life with them in a few years, but it's always you're wrestling with what if they're not there in a few years? I know. And you're like, Oh my goodness. Like it's a tough thing. So time frames matter. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. You wrestle with that. So you try to do the best you can by allocating effectively and spending time with the people who make, uh, put a smile on your face. But sometimes you feel like you're, um, not giving them as much as you should or can because you have other, um, obligations to pursue. Yeah. And I found like I can jam pack my schedule. I can like on a calendar fit in everything, but when it comes to reality, I might not be emotionally available or mentally as like available, even if I'm at the social thing, because I've jam packed my calendar with like, you know, I got to go to the gym and then I got to like, you know, do the side hustle before I go to work. And then after work, yeah, I've got four hours after work. I can go to this thing or do But you don't take into effect how tired you are. Yeah. You're not present. Are you? You're, you're not present. Thing. Yeah. And, the, and people notice that they do. And it's, it's, I'm still wrestling with it because that's a common criticism I get from my, 
social circle is just how busy I am sometimes. And I get it. And these people are just, you know, awesome people in my life that love me and want to see me and hang out with me. So it's like, they want the best for me. And, and like, it, it is a constant battle though. Uh, I think when you have many plates that you're spinning on the go, it's of, of how to allocate your time. Agreed. And I don't think there's a right answer for it. And just, you're doing the best you can. I think that's what anybody could ask of you. Yeah. And the time frames do matter. Like if, you know, terminal illnesses change a lot of things and you just don't, can't predict those things though. You can't, uh, but when it comes to it, you have a priority ladder. So if mom, dad calls, there, there's no one else more important than that, right? Yeah. You're going to see them regardless. 100%. Sorry, yeah. handle this issue. I'm going to see mom and dad. So you know where the priorities are. It's just that when you don't have that strict priority, where you're allocating accordingly. Yeah. So how do you see yourself transitioning then from the, from out of the physio completely to, um, I don't know, I guess running this business. So it might be where I might work more full-time hours currently where I scale down. I might work couple days a week or a couple hours in each day where I have more of the back end to do things like this. Uh, it might be where it's every second week kind of thing, or the fact that I might just go only select clients that I, uh, have a long, um, history with that I I'll see professionally as a physiotherapist. And then whether it's scaling up this industry, uh, this business or pursuing other types of ownership, which I'm, um, obviously, obviously, obviously I'm consistently kind of pursuing whether it's, um, the, the cash flow ones, whether it's a storage locker, car wash, and a laundromat. Those things I'm on the radar, as well as a southern property uh, in Arizona or Orlando that I can have the ability to escape the winter and play golf for a subsection and have it uh, rented out for the other part of it. Nice. Two big golfing destinations. Oh, yeah. That trip to Miami, that was my first time in Florida. Really? Was, yeah. And yeah. just uh, the weather there, the fact that I'd been to Cuba and Mexico a few times, yeah. but the weather was the same. The beach was beautiful there. Um, but the cultural, right? So diverse. Oh, like it's so diverse. Yeah. But then it's also so Americanized. Like it's commercialized. Like a yeah. big difference from being on in Cuba versus Florida, even though it's right across the ocean yeah. there. Yeah. And, uh, I just, that was like life changing for me to, to want some more location freedom and the snowbird lifestyle, because we went there in April yeah. after a long winter of Canadian winter and Canadian lockdowns. Yes. And then to go down there, man, just the weather, like I was walking around 50% happier, just baseline yeah. happiness. Exactly. Nothing else changed in my life. Well, I guess I didn't have work and stuff. So take that into account, but like yeah. just baseline happiness from waking up, stepping out into the sunshine. Oh my God. Why do we live here? <laughs> I tell myself that, and this is where I struggle with, is it because it's a scarcity that we feel enjoyment out of it? When it becomes an abundance, do we do the same thing? Uh, like when we lived our all time, will we be grateful for it? Probably less likely, but probably grateful for things, exactly, like yeah. anything else, that hedonic adaptation that happens over time, you just get more stimulus, you're like, oh, I care less for this. Or do you find it just as much because it's truly sunny all the, most of the time versus here, it can be dark, so I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like anything, if you experience the lows, you can, you can really, be grateful for the highs though. I think like, agreed. I think a Canadian spending time in Florida is a lot more grateful for their, their hot weather than a Floridian who grew up there. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. And often I think Floridians actually come up here and in, in their summer times cause they want to escape the humidity. Yeah. Cause it's too hot down there, hot which is, per I mean, it's the perfect setup going down, down South for, yeah. for, I mean, Southern Ontario's because like our summers are so hot here. Like we have great weather. Yeah. So that's, that's all like on my, uh, bucket list. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, for good, sure. Good, good, Owning good. something there. Cool, man. So what's next? Just continue what you're doing. You're pretty dialed in. Yeah. I have a lot on my plate. I'm doing some educational courses now for myself. I've tried to spend a good amount of money, um, learning each year, whether it's in the realm of crypto, whether it's relevant personal fulfillment and development. I've done a, a few Tony Robbins type courses just for making me a better person. And then I'll pursue more. Have you found those effective? I have. I, uh, I've done what, what have you got from those? 
Um, a morning routine, something called priming that I try to do every day. I'm not very diligent in the summertime as much as I was in the wintertime. Um, a more I, better understanding of how who I am and what I'm worth and how to handle certain adverse, adversities by um, maybe, so small meditation cues or things that don't um, that you can do to subdue your anger, your response, your ner- uh, knee-jerk reaction. So that's helped me become more poised as an individual. And I often uh, find that I can take a pause and filter my thoughts before articulating them. Because once you say them, you can't take them back. So Tony's taught me that. And just the vision of some certain grandeur. You can achieve a lot in your life if you um, take certain action and believe in yourself. So, yeah, I've enjoyed them. Yeah. Okay. So more of more of just what you're doing. I think you're on a really solid path. Yeah. I don't know if I can take on more stuff at the moment. I um but I plan to. Well, once things come in, I can prioritize and systematize that. Then I can take something else and allocate my time effectively there. Can I ask what the highest returns on your time are? Uh, yeah. First two rental properties, dividends, stock options are the first four, and then physio will be the fifth. So the rental properties are up top. Oh, yeah. 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 They're, yeah. They're, I'm knocking on double wood now. They're, the tenants are great. Um, they're in good shape. And they take good care of it, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. By far, for me, it's the rental properties. Same, right? 100%. Yeah. And then dividends. You have a decent-sized portfolio. Dividends are just, what do you allocate to that? An hour meeting with X, Y, and Z? And yeah. get that? So how do you balance real estate investing with stock investing? So I know a lot of real estate investors are like real estate only. They like the control aspect of it, um, the tax advantages, all the different streams of income that come from a rental property. How do you, yeah, you're, you're smiling. How do you balance the two? I think it's quite, it's interesting how polarizing it is with real estate investors and stock uh, stock investors. Yeah. I think oftentimes real estate investors are stock investors that have lost money and they've converted to real estate because yeah. now they can control it. I see that often. I, I like, like I mentioned, I like to go where my money's treated the best and Currently, if I can't cash flow, because I'm very much a cash flow oriented investor, if I can't cash flow, I don't want that money sitting getting me 1%. Where can I, where is that treated best and where do I have control over? So instead of actually purchasing maybe PepsiCo, for example, I can sell contracts by learning stock option trading. And I can do that in Jamaica. I can do that in Miami in, in respect of my location. So that's another revenue stream. So on certain times, I let's say I have a, a slow day at the clinic and I had three cancellations and I have an hour and a half gap. I can open my phone, go in my trading, and see if there's a good trade available and earn that revenue in that 10 minutes of time there. That's a skill set that you learn. So that's how I balance it. If there's not an opportunity where I can maximize my return on investment ROI, then I'll choose either the real estate through lending or purchasing or stock options or another one of the businesses that I can allocate towards it. But it's not having too much cash, dead cash on hand. Mm. Yeah. Cool, man. Where can people find out more about Robin Valadares, financially fulfilled physio? Uh, what do you offer there? Is there some, some, uh, the, what was that spreadsheet bundle spreadsheet, that I downloaded? Yeah. Is anything you want to call out? Yeah, there's, thank you. There's, there's three ways you can get some of the resources that I use regularly. So the spreadsheet one, you can go on the website and you'll see a pop up somehow to get a spreadsheet. You can do the same thing for my top 16, 2023 influential reads, things that really inspired me over the years. There's a, a PDF you can download uh, on the website as well. And then there's the last one is for health professionals, how to survive a recession. And that's the kind of the most predictive recession that we're kind of experiencing right now in terms of what's coming down. If people want to kind of keep their financial house in order, things to look out for before um, kind of 
things hit the pavement, shall we say. So that's on the website, which is uh, www.financiallyfulfilledphysio. And then with the, the handle of Financially Fulfilled Physio on Instagram, that's my main uh, social media platform because I'm, I'm not too literate or um, savvy in the other ones yet. So Yeah, that's well, you've got some great posts on your Instagram and I was Thank going you. through all of them before this. And do you ever work with people outside of the healthcare industry? I have, I have. So my niche, what I understand is healthcare professionals, but money management and adulting 101 isn't just exclusive to people in healthcare. It's inclusive to anybody over the age of X, Y, Z age, right? So I work with individuals outside of healthcare, but when it comes to business, and you you know this full well, people tend to do business with the people they know, they like, and they trust. So I think I have a little more, um, a little more steam with individuals who are healthcare because I'm one of them as well. So they kind of come to me because of that angle I have. Yeah, like you've paid the same for schooling, you've graduated the same amount of debt, you're earning around the same amount of money, mm-hmm. you're facing the same type of struggles. Yeah, not working from home is a big one too, right? You're stuck in, in the office. That's a challenge, yeah. It's a, it's a challenge compared to someone who has a bit more freedom with their time and, and how they allocate it. It's ever more apparent in the last three years. Like you go to the clinic, which is, you still have to do it. You gotta show up, put on a good face, do the role, come back and do everything else, right? So it become more apparent that this role is more challenging to do traditionally than um, other potential aspects of other industries where you can have the ability to do you can be in Milwaukee and still do your job from Toronto potentially. 100%. Yeah, I'm even trying to get financing for this property right now. Our conditional period is up Wednesday. This is now Monday. And just trying to call my girlfriend and stuff while she's at work. It's like, it's so, and trying to get her to sign the, the offers thing, right? And she's yeah. she's with, the, she's a hygienist. So she's yeah. just appointment after appointment. Right? She gets lunch. That's it. She can check her phone. So it makes coordinating everything so much more difficult. You're so right. People say, Rob, why did you get back to me? I've been in the clinic for eight hours. I don't have my phone. Like, I'm not checking. Unless yeah. I have a dead uh, a dead time there, and no one showed up, I'm in everybody face interaction. interaction yeah, I've been interaction. testing hamstrings the past eight hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're done at eight o'clock. Okay, now I can get back to 15 different messages that I'm missing. Yeah, cool, man. Okay, so call it out one more time. Where can people find you? Um, www.financiallyfulfilledphysio. Try to make some alliteration. Physio is spelled with a P. Everything else is spelled with an F. Yeah. Dot uh, com, and then at financially fulfilled physio on Instagram. Awesome, dude. You're the man. Thanks very much, Anthony. Thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, you're welcome. A big thank you to Robin Valadares for sharing his story and being so open. You can check out his website at www.financiallyfulfilledphysio.com and his Instagram at financiallyfulfilledphysio. And you can check out the next Rockstar free real estate investing class taught by Tom and Nick, the very same class that Robin refers to in this episode that kickstarted his journey by going to rockstarinnercircle.com and clicking the big red button on the homepage that says free investor training to see the next upcoming class date and register for that. Thank you for listening, everyone. And we hope to catch you on the next episode.